Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson and with me as always, Chris Boroff. You guys run this place like a prison. (laughs) And with me as always, Zach Powers. I hope the sea is as blue as it has been in my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Uh, On the Movie Trap, each one of your uh, hosts or inmates uh, pick a movie based on a theme that uh, one of the hosts picks and then after we've watched all three movies we then vote on using an allocated amount of points uh, about which one of their favorite or we like them more or whatever uh, after we're done voting and we've watched all three movies whosoever's host movie wins the theme gets to pick the next theme because we are back at it boys we have had our we have had our fun in the sun enough it is time to get back to the grindstone and get started on a brand new theme this week which was uh, for Zach Powers and he has chosen movies that have based that are an adaptation of something that you have read. Um, and he has chosen, knocked it out of the park, really, with 1994's uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, so uh, that's what we are here to do today. Uh, as I said, we have an allocated amount of points. So just as a reminder, everybody, each host has 10 points for final voting, plus three bonus points that we could divvy out to each other for whatever reason we want. Um, we haven't done this part in so long, I almost forgot about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, so don't forget your <laughs> bonus points. I mean, we rarely do it in the first episode, but uh, you know, you never know. But don't forget you had them. They're locked and loaded. That's where we all are. 10 points for final voting, three bonus points all the way around. Welcome back to the movie trap. It is great to be back. And with that in mind, Zach Powers, jump on us with the Shawshank. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption is a 1994 drama film written and directed by Frank Darabont. It's based on a uh, 1982 novella by Stephen King called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Um, uh, it is the story of a... a, a a banker, an upcoming banker in Maine, of course, named Andy Dufresne. He is convicted of killing his wife after a lot of um, semi-circumstantial evidence comes to light at his trial. Uh, his wife and her uh, lover that uh, she was cheating on him with. Um, and he is sent to uh, Shawshank State Prison for uh, a multiple life sentence for his multiple murders. Uh, He initially, uh, as you might feel a person would, has trouble uh, settling in at Shawshank, uh, which is from the get-go, clearly a pretty corrupt institution. The night Andy arrives, a man is beaten to death. Um, But uh, eventually he starts to come out of his shell and uh, befriends uh, another inmate, the narrator of the tale, Uh, Ellis Red Redding, uh, played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, I didn't mention this movie stars uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman and Bob Gunton and uh, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. That's right. Clancy Clancy Brown. Brown. William Sadler. Gil Bellows that I think we chatted about last time. We did. Trick or Treat. He was the cop in Trick or Treat. Yep. And James Whitmore as a character actor. (laughs) Well, as Mark mm-hmm. Rolston from, I think, Aliens? 
Uh, all those people. Um, <laughs> regardless, uh, he comes out to be sort of smart, starts talking to Red, uh, who is a uh, contraband smuggler in the prison, uh, who gets him a rock hammer and a poster of Rita Hayworth. Um, and he is initially assigned to kind of crap jobs like the prison laundry uh, and attacked by a prison gang called the Sisters, uh, led by a fella named Boggs. Um, that's how his first few years in the prison are spent. Uh, but one day, one fortuitous day, uh, there is a job to tar the roof of a nearby uh, building. And uh, Andy and some of the other uh, Red and some of the other kind of likable characters in the prison get selected for the duty. Uh, the guard who killed the man on the first night, Byron Hadley, uh, starts complaining about uh, his inheritance tax uh, on a dead brother. Um, and Andy uh, offers him a bit of advice uh, about how to avoid that tax, which results in everybody on the roof getting uh, a few beers. But it also results in the prison guards noticing that Andy has some potentially useful knowledge. So the next time the sisters attack Andy, uh, Hadley beats Boggs to the point that he is unable to walk for the rest of his life and is transferred to another prison. Uh, and Andy is not attacked by fellow prisoners uh, again after that point. Um, uh Eventually, the warden meets with Andy, a religious man named Samuel Norton, uh, and uh, they send him to the prison library with Brooks, uh, an old inmate, um, which turns out to be a front to do taxes and things for the various prison staff. Um, at the same time, Andy begins to try and repair the prison library, which is in bad shape, uh, writing letters constantly uh, to the state board for more money for the library, new books, that sort of thing. Uh, eventually, Brooks uh, is paroled. Uh, he had been in the prison for 50 years um, and finds that the world outside is impossible to adjust to and restarting at such an old age is an impossibility. Um, and he uh, hangs himself. Um, meanwhile, back at the prison, uh, eventually the library does improve and Andy starts to display a bit of a uh, stubborn streak. Uh, he plays the marriage of Figaro to the yard um, over the PA system, uh, after which he receives a little bit of solitary confinement. Um, uh, and uh, eventually, uh, as time goes by, uh, you know, Red and Andy become closer and Andy becomes closer with the other folks in the prison. Um, and the Nort uh, Norton starts using prison labor to undercut other uh, other labor groups um, and receiving bribes uh, from those groups in order to um, sort of uh, curtail their losses. Andy is laundering all that money under an alias named Randall Stevens. Um, eventually a young, uh, fella, uh, comes to Shawshank, a guy named Tommy Williams, who's sort of a career burglar, who's not particularly good at it. Um, <laughs> and Andy decides that, uh, he's going to help him get his GED. Um, and they study for a while and, uh, it turns out, uh, Tommy, um, 
starts to do decently at his studies. Um, but during the course of their relationship, uh, Red uh, reveals the details of Andy's incarceration and Tommy uh, realizes he knows the actually guilty culprit in the situation, a guy he bunked with in a different prison for a little while. Um, Andy approaches Norton and says he has to uh, bring this information forward. It proves that he's wrongfully imprisoned. Um, but Norton, uh, knowing that Andy has a lot of information on his illegal uh, money laundering and tax evasion and every other kind of financial scheme you could ever hope to have, um, sends him to solitary confinement for multiple months as a kind of warning to break his rebellious spirit, what have you. And in that intervening time, uh, Tommy first gets his G GED, uh, but is shortly thereafter, uh, after Norton confirms the information that Tommy uh, put up, shot to death uh, by Hadley and Norton uh, under the guise of a prison escape. Uh, uh, and uh, eventually uh, Andy is brought back, seemingly a broken man by this terrible news and uh you know various threats and and his multiple months in solitude um and uh he tells red that uh he has a simple dream of getting away from this prison and uh running away to zawantanejo and he also tells him about uh, a hayfield near buxton maine where uh, he was once happy with his wife um and tells Red if he's ever released to retrieve a package there. Um, Red is concerned that Andy uh, is considering suicide, um, especially after he asks another one of the uh, inmates for rope. But the next day, Andy's cell is empty. Um, having no idea where he uh, went, uh, they throw a rock at uh, the poster on Andy's wall. It's now Raquel Welsh. It's changing with the times and reveals that there is a deep tunnel burrowed through the wall of the uh, prison over the course of the past nearly 20 years with the rock hammer, and that the previous night Andy had uh, run through the tunnel, gone through the sewage pipes, and uh, managed to escape the prison. And the next morning, went into the bank uh, under his alias, Randall Stevens, and stolen... Uh, basically all of uh, Norton's money, his illegally gained uh, money, and mails the evidence after that to a local newspaper. Uh, state police uh, arrive uh, at the prison and Hadley is arrested and Norton commits suicide. Uh, a year later, Red is finally paroled yeah, after serving something like 40 years. Um, and like Brooks before him, struggles to adapt to the life outside uh, and worries that he uh, is past the point of institutionalization that he'll never be able to, uh, to, to do it. But following Andy's advice, he visits Buxton and uh, eventually does find under a, a bizarre rock, uh, a cache of money and a letter that asks him to come to Sawantanejo. Um, Red uh, uh, elects to, to steal away from his parole and travels uh, across the border to Mexico, um, finally feeling hopeful for the first time in decades. And the last shot is him meeting Andy 
on a beach reunited once again. And they hug. Roll credits. Everybody applause. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of a struggle, right? Because it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like when we did Rear Window. Like, what on earth can we talk about this movie that hasn't pretty much already been said? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it bombed it, when it came out. Everybody knows right? that. Then it like yep. caught steam because it was on. It was like one of yep. those early adopters, I think, DVDs. And uh, mm-hmm. like it played on HBO all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of the it's a wonderful life approach to yep. it's the, uh, almost the success. exact same journey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah um, but, you know, you would struggle to find a list of American movies and not have this one be on there, uh, like at least in the yeah. top 10. You would struggle. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think that it's one of those ones where, I mean, not only it Bombay came out and then it became sort of a big deal for the next 10, 15 years. And then I think it became very fashionable to dislike this movie Hmm. uh, for a time. And uh, now I think uh, maybe the worm is starting to turn in the other direction again. Um, I've, I've always been curious about this one. Like, it's funny that you picked this one out because it is an adaptation. Like, Frank Darabont did this one. And then for some reason, this one, they decided to get, have him do it again. And then the next time he did it, it bombed again. But then people talked about it a lot afterwards because it was the uh, the fog the green, or the mist. The green, yeah. The no, mist the Green Mile was green the mile was, this, which is much closer, that, like oh. also a Stephen King prison story. Yeah, it's it's the okay. spiritual successor of, of Shawshank. Am um, I completely wrong? Did he not do? Uh, well, he did okay. do he did do the mist, but that was late. I see. But he did do the Green Mile. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and, the spiritual, a spiritual sequel. Yeah, that is kind of on point. I think some, for sure. who said and, that? Was it Zach? That was Zach, Russell. You, oh, that was I, Russell. That was I'm Russell. giving you a point. Yay! Spiritual um, sequel. Yeah, uh, and and it's true, too. And it's actually funny, because if you read the, the, the show notes, apparently Tom Hanks was sought after to play Andy Dufresne, but he couldn't because he was doing Forrest Gump at the time. Um, and then they just said, well, how about I'll do the next prison movie? And he's like, all right, great. Um, uh, sounds <laughs> uh, good. Um, but definitely Green Mile and this are like, before there were those letterbox lists that are hyper-specific, I always thought like, uh, Stephen King adaptation prison movie uh, about a wrongfully imprisoned man who <laughs> restores hope to the <laughs> convicts and deals with corrupt, you know, like it, yeah, the amount uh, of like similarities you could write are, are uh, astonishing. Sure. I think part of what makes, I think, Shawshank quite a bit better is, you know, Green Mile has a kind of magic thing with... Um, Yes, with, John uh, Coffey is a thing. supernatural figure in that. Yeah, he's right. Which is more theoretically for like King. Um, he's almost. I mean, the initials give it away, but he is a Christ figure. I yeah. always thought that the supernatural part was that uh, Tom Hanks was like peeing fire constantly. That one I actually read that in the Green Mile he had a urinary tract infection that he described as peeing fire onto some logs, and wow. I didn't know what they were going to do in the movie. And then the scene comes up, and it's just Tom Hanks pissing. And then I remembered this is kind of his thing in movies. It's Tom Hanks <laughs> peeing because of, you know, Forrest the other Gump. movie we watched. Yeah, sure. Forrest yeah, Gump yeah, or, yeah. Uh, you know, No Crying in okay. Baseball. Sure. Could, Tom Hanks pees in a lot of his movies. <laughs> That's a, you know, I've never thought about that, but you're right. Now that I've, now that I've given <laughs> a good thing, you're, yeah, you're kind of right. You see a lot about, um, if you look that up online, you'll see a lot of people making lists of that. Um, 
One of the things we can briefly talk about is I semi recently, uh, when I proposed this topic, um, was several months ago, uh, and I had pretty recently read the novella this is based on. Um, it is different. It is, in fact, one of the maybe top contenders ever for the adaptation being better than the source material, hmm. uh, in my opinion. It's not that it's bad. There are parts of this movie that take dialogue wholesale. A lot of uh, Red's narration is actually directly scripted from the novella. Um, but so much of it is told differently. The supporting cast is different. Like there is a Brooks analog, but the entire thing with Brooks going to the outside and committing suicide. It's not in the movie. It's not in the novella. Not there at all. Uh, the entire thing with like the marriage of Figaro over the prison yard. That is a complete uh, addition. Um, the kid doesn't get murdered. He just gets transferred. Um, hmm. There's multiple wardens. There's multiple guards that change over the years. It's not just one like pair of antagonists. And the ending is more ambiguous. Uh, Red does eventually get out, but like the way Candy communicates the information is so vague. Even the stealing of the money is like something he set up prior to his prison time that like accumulated in value. It wasn't him taking it from hmm. the warden who does not get the same comeuppance. Like it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's like a very first draft version of the story. The escape is largely the same. Um, but, uh, is, it's, is, is his experience with the sisters the same? That is in the book. Um, and I think he gets protection. I don't recall. I think I can't recall if there was a central sister who gets like, I think it's more like they were a vague group and there wasn't a central like main member of that gang. It's rather that once he starts doing these taxes and things for the guards, he just has protection and they leave him alone. I read that he actually, in the, in the novella, Andy Dufresne snuck in like $500 in the prison wallet and you can Google that term. Oh yes, um, that's true. And that's how he managed to get the, he paid off the he guards did. to, yeah, that, he that's did. what he, I He did, he like got some, that's how he did some initial things. That's how he gets the rock hammer early on oh, and stuff. Oh, really? I mean, uh, one of the one of the off-screen things. They sorry, one of the things that they don't explain about this that leaves me thinking is that you know, if Morgan Freeman's character is the guy who gets you stuff in prison, he's held a lot of stuff in his butt. Like every time you see him walking in the movie, he's probably got like a laundry list of somebody else's things he has to hand them jammed in his rectum. That's just my opinion because that is a common. I've learned a lot about prison since this movie. When I first watched it, didn't know that much. Now I've seen a whole bunch of YouTube channels. So anyway, <laughs> seen locked up abroad. It seems know like based on what we see in this movie, he has a slightly more sophisticated system where they <laughs> smuggle it through. Like he has Brooks delivering it inside of those books. And, right, and, right. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like a, little a much bit more, more a little bit more rated R. Um, you know, unlike that. What was that one movie we watched? Uh, Hunger, the the Steve McQueen movie. Oh where, yeah, like, he like jams the, stuff down his throat and stuff. It's fucking weird. Um, I think so, one of the and, main differences is yeah the so while the 
Uh, Novella is has a lot of the darker aspects of this. The intermittent, like really touching or hopeful or whatever aspects are lighter. It's a lot more of a straight story of a guy who went to prison and get, got away. And while Red is like a little hopeful at the end, it's mostly a very dark read without a lot of the uplift that this movie manages to uh, to provide. Well, and, and even I read that apparently uh, Darabont's vision for the movie was to leave it more ambiguous and not show them yeah. meeting at the end. That they was don't show that. That is not decision. included in the book. Them actually meeting up is like, Red is like, I'll go down to Zilwantaneo and we'll see what happens. But right. there is no indication that they reconnect. And, and, and Darabont's original vision for the movie was to keep it at that, where he kind of drives off in the bus, fade to black. Um, it was the studio that insisted on having the, them meet That's at the beach, apparently. interesting, because um, I do think the beach meeting is the right, is a better choice, actually. I think it's something like you kind of want at the end of the movie. Um, and it's the opposite of what Darabont did with The Mist, hmm. where he famously... Well, he very famously changed the ending of that to be much darker than the original story. That's interesting. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of understand Darab Darabont still isn't crazy about that last scene. He, he sort of thinks it's a little sappy and a little too, like, obvious. Um, and, and in a way, I agree. But I, I do think because it's such a, uh, a long movie to kind of end on a note like that, I think is, is a little more rewarding than have it be ambiguous. I mean, you could work it out. What's, what's going to happen. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to show um, it. The last but shot, way, it, uh, you it can cut the last shot. The it audience. still works. Okay. But it, it, like it, the last speech is, is good. Uh, I, you need that speech, but yeah, that's fine. But I mean the, the whole, uh, I mean, if, if it had, gone on longer where they're like well how are you andy oh i'm good red you know what if but it's just a real concise and all they do is laugh and then cut fade to black yeah. roll credits um, i mean i i kind of agree with zach that it kind of needs in this case i think it kind of needs to be in the movie because of the rest of the film has been set up as a whodunit they kind of leave you with that expectation that you're going to see how he gets out where he goes stuff like that point. So if they didn't have that in there, it would be ambiguous. I think it would work better if the rest of the movie had been more of like uh, a study of just character study with a lot of gray areas where you don't know what's going to happen with people. But in this one, they spell it out really, really clearly for you as you go through the movie. It's like they introduce mm. the characters and then they pick up later on what's going on. You even see the goddamn bird grow up to a full-grown bird and get released. So it's one Not of these the movies... Book. Yeah, they don't leave it hanging because it wouldn't play in this context. I think that would be an issue. Like, if you just didn't know what happened, people would lose their mind wondering if he went down to Zato Wanejo and the rest of it. Like, you gotta see it. Zawantanejo. Let's see how long it takes. Good job. Okay. It should be known every time we sign off, Borif always says via con Dios, so he's very proficient in Spanish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I think... I know someone I who actually lives there, so I, right. that is an advantage. <laughs> okay, that helps. Yeah, right. Because um, I always thought it was spelled Melwake. Um, Wait, anyway, you know someone uh, who lives in the place they go to in the movie? Yeah, the kid... So the neighbor that lived across the back fence from me growing up, one of the kids, one of his kids lives in Zewantanejo. Oh. Wow. Is it wow. is it nice? 
I don't know. I've never been there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I figured you might know from the guy who had the kid down there. It's it's it should be known that in in the movie it's just the Virgin Islands. They don't. It's not Mexico. They, they and and also when he drives across the uh, border to get to Mexico, he's driving on the Pacific Coast Highway. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, and and also I, it's also I mean like most Stephen King stuff, it takes place in Maine in the original. This is actually shot in Ohio. The story takes place in Maine, but it was shot in Ohio. And they actually, I think it's really really cool uh, that they actually got an actual fucking prison to shoot in. Um, and like, I, I, I have the special edition DVD of this one. And they don't make prisons that look like that anymore. No, it was apparently about to be torn down, but because, uh, this movie gained such a, a, a kind of cult following, uh, some film society bought it up and it's now like a tourist attraction in Mansfield, Ohio or something. Um, so it's still standing. Um, and, and it's funny cause when you, when you, uh, on the special edition, like behind the scenes documentary, the, the BTS or whatever, they, uh, they talk about being in that prison, Robbins and, and Brown and, and Morgan Freeman say like, it, it was very helpful because you could kind of feel that this place is terrible, you know, like, and, and apparently the prison where they shot at has a very, had a very nasty reputation of being just corrupt and terrible. And it was shut down for those reasons. Um, so it really was empty. It was due to be show as a incredible spring of luck uh, to get that location. Cause it totally, I think informed, not just the, the claustrophobia of how they're directing it. But I think it also helped drive the performances because I think part of the, you know, when you're dealing with prison movies, you have kind of similar themes, right? That like the walls that encapsulate you are only as big as you let them be. Even when you're out of those walls, there's still walls outside of there. I'm going to get into the, the, the Patrick McGowan prisoner rant here, boring. Mm -hmm. You can't sense it. Um, but even like Birdman of Alcatraz, um, which is a little different because that's a little bit more of a like kind of more sappy. And this one's this one's more or less about like a friendship and how human companionship can transcend those walls. I think that's me. I mean, there's a lot of like Christ like kind of interpretations of this film. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I really think that you have these kind of similar themes in prison movies and that's why they work. Cool Hand Luke's an excellent example too. Uh, because the walls you realize are not actual prison walls, it's the walls that society put around you all the time. Even when you're out of those walls, sure. there's other walls. Uh, cool Hand Luke feels like a very a precursor to this in a bigger way because there's kind of the two central characters, Luke and I... For Drag Dragline? Nine. Drag Nine. Uh, uh, and like Dragline kind of like uh, grows... You know they have that relationship this is this one's it's more uh complicated i don't know when i was in an ap english class in high school we had to do well we learned about the hero's journey one year it was sophomore year junior year i don't know and people are like and they gave us assignment like you know you could pick a, a film and and map out the hero's journey in it right and i was like I like this. I liked the shot of this movie a lot at the time, actually, like when I was like 14, 15, this was like, I, you know, I was with the consensus. I was like, oh, that's the best movie I've ever seen. And I picked this one and I was like, oh, I don't know who the protagonist is in this movie. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's pretty clear. Andy's the protagonist and Red is the narrator. Right. But I, Red it, is the one who has the more clear. The character arc of Red is far clearer than the character arc of Andy. Yeah. I, I, I think that it, that's like, probably yeah. fair um it's yeah. actually and think, that's that's a fascinating part of it because he's normally when you have a protagonist they're an active protagonist andy generally just reacts to things that are happening to him 
And he doesn't become active until later in the movie when you realize that he's been conning people. And he does mm-hmm. the flip. So it's it's one of those things, like, he's just like a sleeper agent for the first chunk of the movie. You don't think he's going to be the main character. I mean, you kind of know he's going to be the main character because they keep pointing the camera at him. Well, but, he's the first person you see in the movie. Yeah. So. But he also Plot doesn't change much. Plot-wise, it's his story. Character-wise, yeah. it's Red's story. And I didn't know what... I still don't really know yeah. what to do with that when I'm writing that essay. Because it's, I... Yeah. It's true, because, like, it, it does kind of shift at you at the end once Andy escapes. And then Red's kind of, like, almost on this kind of puzzle-piecing mission to, to kind of find him. So that's where the the plot dynamic shifts a little bit at the end into red because he's the one kind of driving the plot. But ultimately everything, nothing happens in this movie without Andy Dufresne. I mean, that's why I would argue he's the protagonist. Nothing happens in this movie if it's not for Andy Dufresne. And because Morgan Freeman, this movie, I think the trick that it does is that the protagonist is not the connection that the audience makes. I think it's a, the way that Robbins plays it and even the way that Darabont even directs it. Andy's always at arm's length, right? Like he's kind of, you're, you're observing him like red is, you know, you're more just kind of watching him and you're not. And and the way Robbins always said, I always tried to play Andy like he's having a secret, you know, and, and he does all the time. Cause he, like you say, he's conning everybody. Um, and, and I think that that's, that was a a brilliant sort of one-two punch to have that kind of the escape and then finding Andy at the end. And luckily the, the end doesn't drag on like it should a la, you know, return of the King or whatever. Mm. Um, so I, 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 that's why I think that that's the important distinction for me at least is that the human connection, the emotional connection between the two characters is obviously red, not Andy. Andy's our guy that we're watching and rooting for, but he's not, what pulls us in and he's not what connects us to this world as much as red does. Right. But you see, you can understand my dilemma because oh, sure. part of the, part of the idea of the hero's journey is this change in character. And, you know, like even when we learned about it, like they were always like, okay, you've got like things like death and rebirth when the character really changes. And that scene happens to fucking Andy, but his character is it necessarily changed? Uh, he is the same guy after he like crawls out reborn from that tunnel and like has maybe the most famous death rebirth image in one of the most famous in movies. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but he's not the one who makes the change. Like the change you know, happens to red. I would say that he kind of is though. Cause eventually he's like, no, I'm going to commit a crime. And he commits to crime. And it's like he said, like, I'm, I had to come to jail to be a criminal. All right. He had, I had to, like, whatever he says, the, the famous line where he's like, something, something, I came to jail to, and learned to be a criminal. Um, I, I, I'm going to give you a point for that because I think that, that it brings into the, the theme of institutionalizing, yeah. right? You know, that like you, you, because you're around it a lot, you adapt and decide to do it because he i mean obviously he's been planning the escape since the beginning um so where his change i think occurs is actually like connecting with red and the other inmates too like where at first he's kind of timid and scared of everybody and he eventually kind of comes out of his shell and i think he comes out of his shell probably because he realizes he needs help to do this caper um in even if they don't know about it um that that's that's just my theory but i'm gonna give you a point because i think that that's true that 
a lot of recidivism comes from, well, the fact, well, this is the only life I've known, so I'm going to keep doing it. And the only way to beat an unjust system is to not play by its rules. So right. I, in a way, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm going to give you a point for that, Borif. Uh, well, that's to... definitely, if that is the intended uh, thing, like if uh, the idea is in his former life, uh, Andy never stood up to the injustice in his life and just kind of took his licks, which if they should probably communicate slightly clearer, because he seems a little bit like he's even when the sisters first come at him, he's like resistant. He never lies down and and takes it for the most part, unless he's doing it as part of his game. Um, uh, then 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 that does make sense, because like, you know, he has his moments of like open rebelliousness which probably don't work well with his grander plan. Um, it, but, uh, yeah. It's, it seems like he respects institutions more than individuals. So, like, if somebody individually is attacking him, he can, for some reason, it seems like he responds. But if it's, like, a whole institution, he usually just kind of goes into the victim mode of, like, this is wrong or something like that. Like, I think the only time he really was ready to throw down with the... Um, the thing that triggers him is when the kid dies and then he's like willing to throw down with the uh, warden um, and that triggers all the things. Um, but, but I was he's thinking... Contra but even then, like before that, he does the stunt with the record. He's confrontational mm -hmm. with the state board by sending oh. them letters every single week. Yeah, like... he's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. He, he shows who he is so you know that you can't trust him to be boring. Um... Yeah, that actually, I, you know, I'll agree with you. I think that's probably something that gets revealed and then that's just a continuance of it. So maybe that's not a complete change. I think it's just the the scale of what he's pulling off changes. The, uh, the imagery of him going through the uh, sewer and then coming back outside, I think that would probably work pretty well for um, the returning like the the end of the hero's journey where it's returning from another world with the uh, secret or whatever because he's coming through and he knows he's going to take the money and then run off to Zawatanejo. Um, so I'm just, I'm not arguing with you as a child when you wrote it, but it was a thing where I was just like, it seems like it. You know what, Chris? I'm going to give you a point for learning how to pronounce Zawatanejo. <laughs> um one thing about this that i i have always wondered like everyone everyone talks about it being a good movie and i think that it definitely is good i'm not going to be one of these weirdos that hates on this movie because it kind of surprises me a little bit that people did that because it is a sure. solid movie ass movie um that said there is some weirdness with this um the the fact that uh, yeah it's it's something that I don't think they could make now because it is such a hot button issue, like the institutionalized prison system, and everyone knows Not in that today's it's, woke culture. I mean, it's so dehumanizing and awful, and the movie gets into that. And even Stephen King, I think, is like famously liberal, so it'd be very clear. Like he he's wearing his politics on his sleeve with this one, and it's very clear. But when you're going into the movie, there's certain things that aren't dealt with ever. Like, Morgan Freeman is a black man in a prison that is predominantly white people, and there's well, no racism me, anywhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back on this one. I, I actually think that uh, uh, 
I kind of in, you know, I don't know. There's something about that aspect of the movie that like the, this is a movie made in the nineties about a friendship between a black man and a white man. Uh, and racism is not a part of the story. And it's like, well, can't that that's, there's something kind of fucking refreshing about it. Like that you can just let that story be like that character's black. And it's, I know historically, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course they'd be racist, but like the idea that you can just, this character is a character people like, it's a well-developed character. He's black and Mm -hmm. he's allowed to just be black. And that's not what his character is for. And also, Yes, in the original novella, that character's white. There's a line um, in the, red the movie. Line. Yeah. Yes, yeah. where he says, maybe it's because I'm Irish when people ask him why he's called Red. Well, in the original book, he was Irish. And there was a kind of winking nod to that. I don't know. I think it's kind of refreshing in its own way that uh, this... I don't know. I mean, this movie's about a lot of things. It's about the prison system. It's about all that and i don't know the idea that they could make a movie in the 90s where one of the main characters is black and one of them's white morgan freeman's doing driving fucking driving miss daisy his entire career and he can just be a fucking character where his main device is not his race like the point of his character is not his race i very well, I, I, I i sympathize with the with that point of view zach i i do I, but i think I kind of understand where Boris kind of coming from by not acknowledging it. You are kind of whitewashing it a bit of prison life in the 1950s. Now, well, it's it's one of those things where there's fucking it's a no win. Like, right. You can't yeah. like yeah. there yeah. is no there is no win. Like yeah. somebody is going to complain about it being like if it was all like and now red there's racism against red, which we've added into the story because he wasn't black in the original. And people are like, well, now you have to change this because he's black. And it's like, you have to make it about his oppression or and you I, just don't care. Or you cast a white guy, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I and, and I don't think casting anybody but Morgan Freeman would have worked as well in this movie. I, I want to be out and say that. I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar to yeah. win, but he was nominated. Um, and, and he has such a commanding presence and you can't beat that voice. Um, and so in a way I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with both of you. I, I kind of, I'm with you, Zach, because I think that it is kind of nice to have it where it's just going to be Morgan Freeman. Doesn't matter. Like it's that I think putting it even as a B story, plus there's a lot going on in this movie and then throwing in a whole other seaside well, to it, I think would, would, would struggle with an already pretty meaty well, movie. So there's a couple aspects of this. Like, I think the movie has much more to do with the institutionalization aspect of prison, for instance. Uh, like some of the those aspects are like the way the uh, like that. That part is is much more deeply explored in the movie. Like I said, the entire Brooks segment is omitted in the book. It's maybe the strongest segment of the like it's one of the strongest segments in the movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and it's i think like obviously like every movie you watch like is going to like it's partially uh a fable or a morality tale about like the perseverance of hope like it's not a I, how many movies do you watch where it's like 100% this is not accurate to how the world would work like 
all of the time and you're like that's a flaw like mm -hmm. never like is there ever like do you want every movie to be fucking gasper knows irreversible like <laughs> I, I don't know I don't, it's just what you but, want like but not every not every movie is set in a prison like that's the thing it's like for some reason yeah, prisons but, to but be you are also just want, like a... the dialogue to be you know like fucking i'll tell you what schindler's list is set in a concentration camp and a lot of that movie is fictionalized like the way they talk and the lines and like i don't know that schindler ever had a big speech about if i had only given this ring i could have done that or this like that's a fucking movie man i don't know what to yeah. say I, well i was just i've got it with zach on this one but i got gotcha. you yeah. it just seemed odd to me because it was such a like such a you know and, it's and, an and intense think... topic uh, well, and and apparent. I mean, part of the struggles the, of the the box office success of this movie was because it was a prison movie, and most people don't like to be reminded about prison. We 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 in the 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 right sided society, uh, we prefer not to think about it and go about our daily lives. Um, so even if yes, it is a tame uh, unveiling of what is happening at an institutional level. And I think for and the time it was, still a, still I think a, for the time it was pretty grit. Like, I think for the time they were showing things that other prison movies didn't like the entire sister storyline would, what's a movie yeah. before that, that had something like that. Or, you know, I mean, it, like it, uh, does, midnight very, express, the yeah, solitary it, it, confinement yeah. seems pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. Like there's stuff yeah. like that in cool. Hand Luke, Papio, but, yeah. uh, I mean, it Papio. definitely pushes it forward. Like you see an on-screen relationship, as you said, between two, like a, a white and a black man that's not dealt with is like a it's a pleasant relationship that doesn't delve into the the darkness of that um no and it, and it but, deals more with like an age difference really that's the yeah I think the biggest the, the the dynamic between andy and, and red and, is the age difference and how long and it, red's been in there and it shows the cops as being bad like yeah. all of them are bad you see yeah, like yeah, one or two yeah. One or two that are like hello and polite, and it almost seems like they're in the wrong movie based off everything else you're seeing. Where it's like that guy was just nice to Andy. I wouldn't have bought that. Or like they like are polite when someone's leaving, and it's just. Like, I think that there's a there's a there's another aspect. Like there's there's a there's a guard that's polite to Andy at a certain point. Andy gets his big uh, windfall from the state, and he like has these records and books. Right, this card go cop goes to the bathroom, and uh, is like sort the shit out before I get back. But he's kind of happy for Andy. But like at the same time, when uh, Andy like plays the record, it's not like he's calling for, you know, amnesty Riots or anything like right, these yeah. people are still going to like side with the system. Like even if they have an outward politeness, mm -hmm. they're not going to like push yeah. against Warden Norton's prison labor shit. They're not going to push against Hadley shooting people in the yard like they don't. <laughs> They're going to eventually stick with what's theirs, even if they're outwardly slightly more polite than the guys who do the real bad shit. It's, it's, I the, think point, that's, it's the point that know. Chomsky always made about slave owners, you know, that like, I'm sure there were nice slave owners. I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were benevolent, nice slave owners. Uh, doesn't change the fact that they weren't monsters because the institution itself is monstrous. Um, and that's what I think the prison life what the theme of the movie is is yeah kind of hope springs eternal that's kind of the the overall theme of it but it, i think a more interesting theme for me especially this time watching around because again i've seen this movie a hundred fucking times um it, it it's because it's it was on tnt almost every day mm -hmm. um and so like watching it this time um i i got more of a 
like kind of like kind of like a cool hand Luke vibe, you know, where Luke is rebelling against everything, you know, and Andy isn't necessarily doing that, but the the record scene is important because it is his step in putting his feet on the ground and drawing a line and and even if he knows it's a small gesture just to have a glimpse of something else inside these walls uh is worth it for its own sake so i i think that that's the overall theme is that sometimes breaking out of the walls are worth it for its own sake even if the walls seem impenetrable even if you know, you'll never be able to do it and it'll take you forever. Sometimes it's worth it for its own sake. And that's sort of the first hint of, of what's going on with, with Andy and what his overall plan was, um, is, is I think, and that's why I, 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 I side with the consensus. I think this is, uh, probably the best Stephen King adaptation. Stephen King certainly thinks so. Um, and, Uh, and, and and it's, it, it's it's funny to me. it's this. I mean, I think The Shining is my other big uh, I like possibility. It. Uh, King doesn't but, like it, but fuck him. Um, yeah, I, I don't care. I, what, I don't really it, care what King thinks uh, about yeah, the adaptations. Right. But uh, that's true. Um, but he even like he, one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, Darabont's kind of journey in adapting this story um, because he 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 acquired the rights to it in in 1987. So I mean, he's he was working on this for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and and everybody, I mean, Stephen King straight up told him like, "Oh, it's a great script. You'll never get anybody to buy it. You know, like it's not going to happen because it's it's a prison movie." And he said that like, even the publisher didn't think like they want to adapt that. Why? Um, you know, because as Zach said, the story is not as cinematic as the movie is. You know, it's and not the as, no- novella. Yeah, is less. Yeah, is like, it's a rough read. Right. It, it's, 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 as I understand, it's more bare bones, you know, it's not it really, is. It, is. It, yeah. it is, um, it is, there's a lot so, of omitted. There's a lot of additional scenes in the movie. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's good writing in the novella and most of that good writing ends up in the script. of the movie. Sure. And that's why I, I mean, he made it a choice to keep the, the voiceover reds narration to exactly. keep the, 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 the Stephen King prose. Uh, it's one of the things I learned and I caught it on, especially this rewatch for the podcast. Uh, he was very much inspired by Scorsese's Goodfellas in his direction style. And boy, is that obvious? Uh, I mm. mean, do this as a thought experiment. Next time you're watching this movie, watch any scene of that movie and then just put like, I don't know, cream or the who over it or Howlin' Wolf or some blues over it. It will feel like a Scorsese movie. Just yeah. imagine in your head of like <laughs> smoke on the water I mean, during the, during the did, escape scene. Uh, and you'd be like, wow, this is a Scorsese film. Uh, this is definitely, I mean, they have uh, certainly the, the score for this movie is like still used in trailers to this day. Yeah. So sure. Like it's, and it's very minimal. There's not a lot of, it's not a, very big, big, big thing. Newman's uh, first, apparently Thomas Newman's first nomination. Um, I mean, the, the, uh, but, the big scenes, the big emotional scenes do have a lot of like dramatic operatic camera swings, which I guess would be of like a low very dolly yeah, yeah. angles, you know? Yeah. yeah. And but I should yes. say Deacons has shot this movie and apparently uh, Robbins, Tim Robbins would only do the movie if Deacons shot it because he just did the Hudsucker proxy with the Coens. Um, so we have Tim Robbins to thank for the great uh, cinematography, although he did not get <laughs> along well with Frank Darabont at all. He he, he didn't want oh. there to be anything outside Deacon's thought. He wanted to be completely claustrophobic and not have any hint of daylight. Weird. Um, that was Dick- well, Deacon's sort of vision. 
Oh, so that was Deacon's vision to like keep yeah, it dark? Yeah, Deacon's, De- Deacon's, Deacon's thought there was too many exterior scenes for it to be a prison movie. He wanted the walls to, he wanted the walls to be a character, um, hmm. you know, which he kind of did with Barton Fink. Um, anyway. Um, I mean, you, you get that uh, later in Hunger, I guess, like different filmmaker, uh, but you know, you eventually see nothing but walls in a, in a prison movie. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I want to say, circling back briefly to what I said about how I think it was very in vogue to dislike this movie for a time and like call it overrated. I think, uh, so I think it's, Two, two causes. Uh, one, this movie sat happily on top of the uh, IMDb 250 for a long time. I don't know if it's still there or if, still there. I, if it's changed or not. Um, I think that caused a lot of like people being like, uh, you know, it's not the best movie of all time. It's overrated. I, I understand like not thinking it's the best movie of all time. Like that's an sure, extremely but... difficult process. But uh, I think the other thing was a little bit like this is i have described these this before and actually chris said it earlier in this episode uh in some regards this still feels like a 90s movie ass movie to me (laughs) and it, it was the same year that like pulp fiction came out and was trying to like push that and i think a lot of people like ran with that ball for the next I mean, until now, I guess, like people really like making things, you know, maybe more. Well, Forrest Gump also came out too, and that's another movie ass movie. That's more movie ass yeah, movie than right. this, actually. Yeah, this is sure. like bet- between the two, in my opinion. Um, but uh, like, I think, um, I think that's also part of why. I feel like there is an aspect of this movie that feels too traditional and standard at least, especially from a modern perspective. And you contrast that with Pulp Fiction, like kind of making, you know, I think it's like in terms of how people made movies, I think Pulp Fiction is a a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that came out the same year as this, people are like, well, it's just more old guard traditionalist shit Spielberg. and yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly i think yeah. like um, i, I think agree. people are like yeah you know moving back on that uh, a little bit now and also eventually with time most of the time when something huge gets a backlash for a while after a certain amount of years people are like actually it's just good um like there's yeah. a time where it's cool to to have that backlash like the dark knight i feel like for a long time people were like overrated and now i feel like people are starting to be like eh, yeah. actually it's just pretty good i always mm-hmm. thought it was pretty good um but i've always i agree with that i've always been against the movie crash because when it came out everyone said it was fantastic <laughs> i'm waiting you have the for opposite everyone reaction right i'm yeah. waiting for everyone to catch up with me on that uh-huh. one Anyway, uh, don't, uh, yeah, everyone I think thinks Crash is shit now. I do they? Are you kidding? Everybody's was... like, it's the worst Oscar winner. It's yeah, people fucking hate that movie. I never see any people anyone defend. I feel Crash. better now. I feel better now because I felt like <laughs> I feel I validated. Felt, I, fe- I feel validated. Hate that movie. I feel seen. I feel seen. I'm My sorry, pain Chris, you've been out public. of the loop. <laughs> okay. That movie has not been liked for years. Like people okay. are like, this is okay. the worst. I Oscar feel better. Winner. You know what? You had your crash episode of the film concussion over ten years ago, Boref. You were the you were the pioneer, buddy. So you could pat yourself. I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to give Zach a point for letting me know wow. I'm not alone. Look at us, huh? Oh, we yeah. missed giving oh, cool. the um, points clearly. 
I also kind of wanted to talk about the 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 reveal edits of the the climax. Um, you know, where it kind of goes back in time and pieces together for you. Um, I thought that was handled quite well. I usually kind of think it's it's a little bit of a cheat to kind of like, oh, well, here's all the shit you missed. Um, but I, I thought it was I thought it was handled pretty immaculately. Um, I, I thought that the reveal and the way it concluded where it goes back to him ripping out the poster mm-hmm. and there's that long dolly out uh, from the hole. Um, I, I think that that was done really, really well. Um, yeah. Because it... It, I think Borif, you, I never thought of this movie as a whodunit, but I, I think that that's uh, well said because it kind of is. When you realize once he's gone, you're like, wait, what? And it yeah. kind of says, ah, yeah, yeah, see, he's, you know, like, and, and well, apparently, like, Robbins would, like, intentionally, like, rub his eyes to make it look like he hasn't been sleeping. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I also think, because one of the criticisms that came out about this movie when it was released was Tim Robbins and how Tim Robbins is more or less just kind of aloof and just kind of letting things happen to him. Um, I think Borf kind of mentioned he's more of a reactionary yeah. kind of character, but I, I think that's intentional. I, I, I think yeah. that that serves its purpose because if we're too close to Andy, we start to lift the rock and understand what's happening here. I, I think the way it does it, you you still like Andy, but you're not as you're, you're more in, you're more fascinated with him. You're, you're puzzled by him. You, you not like him as a person necessarily. You're more, what's this guy about? Yeah. And, and I think when that reveal happens uh, in that editing sequence, I thought it was pretty well done, even though mm-hmm. I've, when you yeah. see it other times, it kind of looks like, I think it's kind of a cheat, but uh, well, this one I, does it immaculately. Yeah. I have a feeling that in this one, it's because it's earned. Like mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're sitting with a character for the whole movie that is, it's a trickster hero. Not to use that, I think, for the third or fourth time in this podcast. But the thing is, is that every time he gets into a bind, he usually uses some sort of, by hook or by crook, uh, mind game to get out of it. Yeah. Um, So, like, by the time it gets there, he's not there to tell you how he did it. So you have to see it visually. And it's, I agree, it's wonderful to have the how he got away with it done in a totally visual manner. Uh, that's very bold and in your face and movie ass movie storytelling for that chunk just Fucking because a. you're yeah. not going to have Tim Robbins there and it's not like Morgan Freeman knows any but, of this stuff you just got to see it but uh, yeah uh, and I guess you know my perception of um, like the the weirdness to go back briefly to like Andy is a protagonist he falls into a very strange, like if he is the central character, like there's a, a a strange class of protagonist that you see semi rarely, um, which is the obviously usually a, an individual character who's the central figure of the story needs to grow and change. And then occasionally you have this kind of character who is the main character of a story and their purpose is to make the world around them more like them. This is like Paddington or Superman Mm. or Mm -hmm. Captain America is really this in a lot of uh, instances. And there's other examples that are less like, uh, you know, hyperbolic or cartoonish, but like that's how Andy reads to me more so than anything. So 
Yeah, yeah. No, and I and it's 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 unusual, and it's it's particularly useful in prison movies because one of my favorite I Luke think, would be that. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke a little bit, but you're you're still kind of charmed by Luke, and you have an emotional connection to Luke because you deal with the whole thing with his mom. You can have an emotional connection to those movies. Fucking Paddington Two is a prison movie. Oh, for, yes, very true. Uh, but like, it, what I'm saying is that Andy's different in, in <laughs> as you're talking about. It, he's in a strange class of protagonist because it the movie goes out of its way to make him this fog of this shroud of mystery around him um and your goal is not necessarily to you as an audience member are not necessarily watching him grow you're watching him unveil what's actually happening around you and that's where that's he kind of falls and luke does a little bit but again you're kind of you're with Luke most of the time, you know, and there's your drag line a little bit, but not, not really like red. Um, and then one of my other favorite prison movies, I think is vastly underrated is, uh, the original Papillon, uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. That's kind of a similar vibe, except it's very clear that Steve McQueen's the main character and Dustin Hoffman is the side character that, but it has that kind of similar dynamic uh, where you have this guy who's looking to bust out. Um, and then, you know, another Steve McQueen famous prison break movie, Great Escape. There's like 10 protagonists in that damn movie. Um, you know, like the whole bunches of them. Um, so I think you're actually right that this is a unique protagonist because of how at arm's length he is throughout the whole movie to the audience. Um so yeah, I, 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 in a way, I kind of agree. I mean, he's Paddington. You still just, you know, because he's adorable. And you just want to keep him. You know, like, that's that's you don't get that with Andy Dufresne. You know, there is no like, oh, I want to be his buddy. You know, uh, you want to be right. Morgan Freeman's buddy. You don't. You don't but really. But the the point of like Paddington as a character is wherever he goes, his presence and who he is improves the place that he is in. Like, no matter how dark it is. Yeah, he's a little fuzzy Jesus. He's just walking around making people feel better. Yeah. Great movies. Um, All right. Well, uh, I guess that kind of puts us into uh, final thoughts. Sure. Uh, Unless anybody else has anything to say. I think I'll go first because I've got the shortest amount to say, I promise. Um, Because really, again, what can be said? I mean, it... Whether or not this movie is on your top 10 list, it's hard to deny it's not a masterpiece. Um, Hard to deny the quality of this film. Even, again, if it's not one of your favorites, it's hard to say really a bad thing about it um, because it just hits every note pretty dead on. Um, And even as the many times that it has been exposed to me, uh, you still, like, you walk away from that movie feeling pretty satisfied you know i watched this when i was very very ill um and it reminded me of one of those movies that you watch when you're really really sick you know you're just like oh this is on okay i'll watch this this will get me through the day (laughs) and if i fall asleep i've seen it a hundred times who cares um that's 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 a statement to um unvarnished sort of potential because like this is one of darabont's first fucking movies um hasn't done much after like not a not he's not the prolific filmmaker of certainly of any of his contemporaries i think like the most significant cultural thing he's done in recent days was like produce the first season of walking dead um i think he mainly just keeps his trade as a screenwriter nowadays as as, as his imdb credits show um and it's I, I kind of get it, you know. He, how do you top this movie? You know, like how how do you, you tried with Green Mile and Green Mile is very good, but it's no Shawshank, and we all know it. 
Um, so yeah, it's, 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 I, I've never met anybody who said a bad word about it. I didn't know that there was this kind of like snobbery going around to, to its fashionable hate, but, but it's always true with you, successful movies that it's declined, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even Spielberg kind of, it's, it, it's still kind of fashionable to kind of say, you know, Spielberg's passe or whatever. Um, even though I think that that opinion's not right. Um, so yeah, and, and certainly, certainly of the prison movie genre, this is in the top five. I mean, easy top five with a bullet. Um, I, you know, there's very few movies that touch this movie as far as prison movies go. Um, the realistic aspect, Bor, if I could give two fucks about, really, I, I really don't give a shit. Um, if I wanted to watch realistic, I'd watch Hunger and want to kill myself by the end of it. Um, yeah. Because that's a brutal movie. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kind of, you kind of, it's a it's a feel good movie, Be, even though it's so kind of dark and brutal. It's a feel good movie, um, and it's hard to make feel good movies uh, good. And I think considering the the box office failure and subsequent now cultural almost staple of American film, I mean so much so it's in the Library of Congress, um, says something that about not just about audiences seeing movies that are quality, but also about how with a little patience movies can develop a life of their own and audiences will find it if the if the if the product is quality the audience will find it um and i think shawshank's a uh, uh, excellent example of i mean a wonderful life it's the same 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 deal um citizen kane didn't do well in the box office either so like it it it's very very common um that audiences don't know shit uh so uh, Our Paddington 2 was a little bit of an underwhelming box office uh, performance as well, and now yeah. people are really loving that movie. Yeah. And there's going to be a third one. I'm so um, happy that it's coming along. My final thoughts on this one, it is a classic. I'm not going to say anything bad about it, really. Very much a 90s film. This is something that you can watch with family. Um, and that's a lot to say for something that does involve... Uh, the prison system and people being incarcerated and police officers not being shown to be great. Um, so this was able to at least open up the conversation with a lot of like more Republican family members to <laughs> consider that maybe the prison system is unnecessarily dehumanizing to people. And uh, yeah, I would suggest this is definitely a fine movie to still watch. I don't see any reason not to want to go into it. That was a young person first getting into movies like a young teenager there was a period of time where i was uh, uh like oh yeah this is actually maybe the best movie ever made and i don't have that period opinion now like um it's not in my top 10 i think um like there are films that tackle things more interesting and have more interesting ideas overall to express as much as I think there's a lot of unconventional, there is like some unconventional aspects to the way this movie is set up plot wise. I think, you know, it's a, like, it feels like an Oscar movie in a big way. Um, and movies that feel that way, like, are it's like a, a thing that is like almost, um, such a well-worn shoe that anyone with enough of a budget can can put it on with ease um and it's you know it, it doesn't feel as as individually as distinctive as a lot of movies can and it um 
doesn't necessarily like while I think it like there are things that it it introduced to people's minds like I, I I wonder how much institutionalization is known to people as a concept because of this movie and honestly that might be the most impacting like that that part works as a short film about this uh, this poor man um, like that's the saddest part of the movie for me that's the part that still gets me when I watch it um, but. Uh, yeah, it, but it, it's hard to deny that it's not like superbly well done in that cast of of film, uh, that it holds up, that when you watch it, it gets your attention, that it holds your attention. Um, you know, it uh, does what it does very well. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that's... Uh, you know, a lot of times about the best you could uh, could ask for from a movie. So, uh, yeah, uh, even though uh, it's not my absolute favorite as it was when I was first, like, kind of discovering the language of film and then evolving my own sort of uh, tastes uh, as a young person. Um, it's a good I think it it's a good early stepping stone before you because you you dig into more complex stuff and uh, i think it holds up even you know like a childhood favorite it holds up uh even to this day i or saw a teenage this, favorite i saw this movie when my parents rented it when i was 10 years old and there was a lot i did not understand uh but the the scene where uh boggs gets the his ass kicked that scene always stuck with me i don't know why but it was just it was kind of it ter- it didn't terrify me because I knew he was like a bad guy, but because of how brutal it was, it did. It was kind of like it's before I saw a Coen Brother movie, so like it it kind of jarred me a little bit of how. I'll tell you. The, I'll tell you this. Like, we talked about the Green Mile today. The hardest I think maybe I ever cried as a kid at a movie. My parents rented the Green Mile when it was new and watched it with me. And the scene where the guy is electrocuted without the water. And who's like the the guy who has the mouse, who's like so like a nice dude. That made me absolutely break down. That is the stuff that feels more emotionally truthful for me, even though it's it's kind of goofy and made up. <laughs> Somebody has to be brutally murdered and tortured in order like to the get part that, of the movie. It's not even that, that Andy gets away all the time, Chris. They clearly like the narration is like he didn't always escape, I know. and you're like, mm, I know. he escaped too many times for I know. me. Well, the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that in the movie, my favorite part, I agree, is the part with the old man. Like, it's the part that seems the most emotionally honest about the fact that this is, like, a horrendously destructive circumstance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just not, well, I'm not a rainbows guy. But- I just can't, I can't believe in rainbows. <laughs> I have to imagine something terrible happening before I can take a movie seriously. I don't know why. <laughs> before we get off it, because we've talked about it a lot. And so that- many <laughs> terrible things happen in this movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, what I will say, I, I think the important, more importantly about that scene with Brooks in the middle... Um, is the way almost shot for shot it's identical to Red's journey at the end yeah, when they he's trying to acclimate. Well. That, that sets up a sense of danger for the audience. That like Red's actually in mortal peril uh, by doing this. So I think that's a 
brilliant take. So I, I think it's very well done. And yeah, uh, good movie. Gonna be hard to beat, Zach. Not gonna lie. This is a little bit of uh, me putting the wild bunch for uh, for Peckinpah. You know, you set the bar pretty fucking high. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be tough to pick. So uh, hopefully, Borov can land on his there's face. There's a lot of I good. Can... There's a lot of good movies based on books. I know. Just, the only requirement is you have to have yeah, read, the to have read See, see, see this, yeah. this is the challenge. You're you're thinking that I'm not subliterate. <laughs> that's the problem. Because um, I was tempted to just go, I'm going to say Passion of the Christ. Screw oh, it. Oh, God. And here's the deal. I've never read the Bible. I don't care to read the Bible. I'm not going to do it for the bit. Um, Starship Troopers. That's another one I could have picked. I read the book Starship Troopers. I hated the book Starship Troopers with yeah, a passion. Yeah, because it's fucking fascist. And exactly. And the Verhoeven movie is a satire of it. Yes. And uh, so that was obviously up there as an option, but it's like... Uh, the movie's totally, way better. It's way better. And it's not even close to being like the original novel anyway. But it would be an interesting conversation. It would. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. That one came out. I remember being passionate about that one. Nominated for a bunch of Oscars, one. too. Sure. I also remembered that I've only read it back in 99, so I would not remember any of that book. Same thing with Stalker, which I read recently, which was fantastic. The uh, Roadside Picnic book. None of those are going to be my pick. So, I decided that what I was going to do had to be... I might not win. I might not win, but I'm going to come in for the fight, guys. All right, because let's go. I During pandemic, when it got really grim, I read Pontypool again. Oh, jeez, here we go. Pontypool, the book by Tony Burgess. Um, we did this one other time, way back in the day in the on the podcast. Yep. Were, 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 were we all in that at that point? Yeah, we were all yep. in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't read the book at that time. I have read the book now, like, multiple times. I got some opinions, so I can actually bring it up, and uh, that's what I'm going to suggest. Uh, Pontypool, based off the book, Pontypool Changes Everything by Tony Burgess. That's what I'm going to suggest for next week. Not Anthony Burgess, right? Who wrote Clockwork no. Orange? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. This guy's okay. name is Anthony Burgess, but it's a different Anthony. This guy's it's, from... Okay. Right. This is a Canadian Anthony, not a... English. Okay. Well, they, 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 English, still, yes. they, they still love the Queen, so. Um, all right. Uh, well, all right. We will revisit Pontypool. It has been since the podcast as I've seen that movie, and I know how much you love it, and it is a pretty good movie, <laughs> so I'm excited to watch it. Um, okay. What year did that come out, Borf? What was what, uh, Just to recall. 2005, I, I believe. To, to okay. give everybody a, a frame of reference uh, for our last film concussion episode about this, it was the maddest Russell ever was about the pairing. And it was Pontypool and Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, because uh, I think since Borif picked this one, um, my my pick will be also kind of revisiting the film Concussion Days. Stay tuned. Um, okay. Well, before we let you go and uh, to sign off, uh, let's get a quick rundown of the points, because we were generous this time. We missed giving out points, guys, it, and, and we came in with full effect. So... Um, Chris Borif, you got a point from me about, you know, not 
you know, Andy's kind of not being a good guy is kind of his character change. I kind of like that point. And you got a point uh, from Zach, which eludes me at the moment. I can't remember why Zach gave Yeah, he point. learned to pronounce. Oh, that's what? right. Yeah, that's right. Because he finally got the location in Mexico right. See, you notice I don't even bother. I just say the place in Mexico. That's that. I cheat. Um, okay. And I got a point from Bora for calling the Green Mile the spiritual successor of the Shawshank Redemption. And uh, Zach got a point from Chris Bora for, again, that eludes me. I don't know what, 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 what did you give him a point for? Zada Wanejo. Zada Way, Zada Zanejo. No, why, why did you give Zach a point? You gave Zach a point for something, and I can't remember what it was. But anyway. I mean, I, I, did, I said something smart. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, he, he just smart did something smart and amazing. That was, um, that's Zach. That's, that's Zach's bread and butter. Smart and amazing. That's what go. he does. Okay, so that puts Chris Boref. You have one more bonus point to give out with 12 points for final voting. Okay. I have two point two bonus points to give out for 11 points for final voting, and Zach Powers has two points for 11 points for final voting. And that's what will send us for next time, where we watch Chris Boref's pick, 2005's Pontypool, uh, on right. our uh, films that uh, based off of adaptations that ourselves have read. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're still mad at us about RRR, very sorry. Uh, if you haven't guessed, we're, you know, just a couple of guys. So, But thanks for watching. Um, we appreciate it, and hopefully uh, this movie has uh, reinforced the idea that we're a bunch of knuckleheads. Um, so, with that in mind, <laughs> I have been Russell Carlson, and I have been joined by Chris Morris. Get busy living or get busy dying. Indeed. And I have been joined by Zach Powers. Uh, Clancy Brown yelling. We didn't talk about Clancy Brown. That's He's Lex Luthor. Clancy He's Brown great. is awesome. And Clancy Brown rules. In Carnival, a short-lived series on HBO, he was awesome in it. Great bad guy. Very tall man um, with an imposing voice. Uh, love Clancy Brown. Big fan. Okay. So, as we always say here on The Movie Trap, Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. It's the movie trap promise. You know what I'm trying to say? Red, I do believe you're talking out of your ass. You believe whatever you want, Floyd. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them. Then you get used to them. Enough time passes. You get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. Part that counts, anyway. <laughs>